and welcome to a thrilling episode of Punch Up Your Life, the show where someone comes in and they pitch me their life as if it's a big budget blockbuster Hollywood film, and then we get into it. We give them notes, and we're like, "Hey, why? Why did you? Why did you do that? What's up with that? What's what's going on?" And sometimes we really get into it, and that person reveals a dark personal secret, or just stumbles upon regressed memories. Doesn't that sound juicy? Yeah, you want to keep listening now, don't you? Um, good. And, you know, in a more friendly, less malicious sounding way, that is what this episode is about. It's uh, kind of a, a memory play, a horror memory play, you know, where you you, you look back at, at childhood memories and then you take a step back from them and give them a different context, uh, you know, having having aged and just understood the world a little bit better. And sometimes you can filter those uh, through genre and social issues and different things. And so we've got a great one about growing up in a haunted house as a kid in a neighborhood that was getting gentrified. Um, so we, we, we tend to talk less about the script on this one, but more about the idea of how to deconstruct from the, 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 the concept itself. Um, and still having fun and, uh, you know, all sorts of like interesting facts and, and personal history stuff comes up. Um, you know, it's what today would be called high horror or elevated horror. Um, you know, something like the Babadook or the, uh, the witch or, um, get out where it's also based around a social issue or, um, something relatable, a a personal fear that can then be extrapolated and put into the fantastical, which I would argue that that is not a new thing. I think any good horror does that. Like Frankenstein is from that place. Dracula is from that place. Um, But regardless, you know, that's what elevated horror is. And uh, uh, that's what memory plays are. And you're interested in uh, Look it up. Look it up. I dare you. Uh, but it's great. And uh, our guest today is the amazing Isabel Zotten, who is a great comedian and a great comedy boss because she co-runs kind of a, uh, a comedy network with uh, Lucy Gervais, another talented comedian. And they do a thing called Hack Couture. Uh, and it's a comedy fashion show which is great for me because I already ran a comedy art gallery show. And so we're both in that whole thing of just like, Ooh, we love the pomp and circumstance of this thing. And it just makes it easier to be silly. And so, you know, you actually really respect that thing and that's how you're good at deconstructing it. And by taking it down a peg, you probably make it more accessible to people so that everyone can enjoy it. And that's the kind of stuff I love. So we made fast friends, uh, look up hack couture or house of hack online. If you want to see some of that stuff. And, um, she's also an amazing graphic artist and, uh, a children's author, Uh, She wrote a children's book about this very story you're about to hear called Jacinta's Ghost. And her most recent novel is called The Orangutan's Party. And, uh, you know, great title. I know what it's about. I have an idea, but I still know nothing. And I am hooked. 
So good job there. Um, it's also nice to be recording this for a, a horror uh, episode when uh, there's lightning and rain going on outside my window. So um, nice ambiance, God. Way to do it. Um, yeah, and this is just an interesting one for me to come back to because I recorded this intro before and the file got corrupted. So I'm, I'm back at it months later. I'm on new medication. I've got a new job. Um, you know, who knows where I'm at in therapy and with my personal relationships. And I, I just needed to take a, a bit of a break from the podcast so that I could get back on my feet again. And I think that's starting. So hopefully we're going to start making more of a backlog of these, but we have, we have a couple more in the, the bank for sure. We'll keep you posted. Don't worry. And it just feels great to be back. And I'm sure that Matt is listening attentively to look up my every childish whim as my, uh, personal human iteration of Siri. So uh, thanks again, Matt. And uh, it's good to be back. And uh, let's listen to the always amazing Isabella Sutton. Isabel, thank you for being here. Thank um, you for having me. The 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 first thing I I like to ask people is: Is there a product out there that you would sell your soul for that you do not mind selling out for? Honestly, no. I know this is a very uninteresting answer, um, but I'm a. I've realized recently, like within the past two years, um, that I'm a really insufferable person, and that. Um, <laughs> I just like I w- I absolutely would not sell my soul for anything. That was a lot of empty airtime of me just pausing to think. Okay, but honestly, well, I I realize that like oh I'm just not fun to have around because I I will ruin a conversation if someone mentions like yeah I just got these really cute leggings on Amazon. I'll be yeah. like well time to talk down to this woman and <laughs> make everyone in this group chat. Wish I'd never been born. I um, I met a woman once whose life was ruined because she worked for Monsanto. And every party she went to, someone ended up saying, like, she works for Monsanto and just killed any social life she went for, which she what? deserves because it's a terrible corporation. Although, what did, she, what did she do working for Monsanto? I think she was an advertising in-house oh. consulting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's, you know what, you get a new job. So, you know, normally what I would do in this instance is just say like, oh, okay, so we're going to try and do as much product placement of that as possible in the film to pay for the film, Mm. bring it back to that. But we could play an absence of that game unless you just want it to be sponsored by Monsanto, which... (laughs) Um, Or maybe my show is like for charity. You will be, you'll be might, the, the indie darling. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll find okay, that out. Okay, but like you went very extreme with selling the soul for a product. Can I just like a product? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, that one's hard as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oreos are and, vegan. That's one a lot of people keep bringing up to me. Uh, that's, you know what? Again, to be that person who ruins a conversation, I'm tired of people saying that like veganism is the key to saving the planet or whatever nonsense because you know what's vegan plastic like you know what's vegan like sugar junk all Mm -hmm. like there's so much garbage that's vegan and i'm sorry but like getting lentils from halfway across the world that are grown by migrant workers or child slaves and then transported to you using fossil fuels over like thousands of miles that's not good for the environment. And look at what happened with quinoa, where it just entire communities were destroyed because suddenly all these white people were like, I Soy listened milk. to David Lynch do an interview where he talked about how much he loves quinoa. Do you know it's pronounced quinoa? <laughs> Meanwhile, there's like a family in South America that's starving because you like fucking quinoa. And I'm so tired of people being like, it's actually vegan leather, so it's environmentally. Free. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I like, yeah, sure. I get feel sad when I see pictures of the dogs in cages in China that are used for the fur trim on your coat that ends up looking hideous anyway. But real fur is actually, oh, it said error problem saving lo- local backup of audio. Maybe this is the computer telling me to wrap it up with my rant about veganism <laughs> and environmentalism. You know what to ruin a party super quick? It's just, hey, do you know how much oil it takes to make your vinyl records <laughs> and just yeah, leave? People- People just don't realize how oil isn't just for cars. Yeah. It's but also I mean, for plastic. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's why, I mean, I also think that subsidizing the fossil fuel industry isn't, isn't great, but it's not just for transportation. It's for, you know, things like heating our homes and creating well, crap. Okay. I'm going to see how many times we can bring it back to this throughout the film. Do you want to <laughs> tell us what your pitch was? Um, so my pitch, uh, was, and I'm going to scroll and find it cause I liked how I wrote it to you. And also I forget what it was. <laughs> um, my life is so interesting. It's so hard to pick one thing that could be a movie or TV show. All right. Well, it fits in with spooky season. It does. It really does. Okay. So here that it helped. Is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Listeners? Two musicians mm-hmm. move from a tiny town in northern Alberta to downtown Toronto with their four rambunctious hailbilly children into an old house full of ghosts located in the heart of the city. Also important to note that this uh, story could only have taken place in 1999 when it was affordable for a family to move to Toronto <laughs> right. in the heart of the city. So it's probably it's going to be a period piece, but then also... So the the house is haunted. Um, I I guess my first question is like how how much of this is based on real life? Well, the, f- the first part definitely. Um, my well, actually, mm, it's it's like real life plus. So my family did move to Toronto from a very small town. Then we moved into an old house that had a lot of interesting history. Um, but the the ghosts were all of my own imagination i don't think the house is actually haunted but also um i think of myself as someone who is very like interested in ghosts and spooky stuff but has like uh has absolutely no sense like absolutely no spiritual aspect to me 
Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds very confusing. So allow me to elaborate. I, I do think that there are some people who can see ghosts and some people who can sense presences and some people who are more uh, like sensitive to that. And then I'm the complete opposite. Like I will never have a ghost encounter. I will never because I'm just so like um, uh, like there's a I have like a negative magic about me that's so just like grounded in like the dirt and reality of the earth that I'm so disconnected from spiritual stuff. Which is so interesting to me because a uh, we've had this conversation before. I see too many ghosts. I'm too yeah, good you're at a ghost that. Guy. You can. I did not want to be. This was not a choice or something I honed. Please take some of the ghosts. We can. I would love to. I feel so jealous of people who can see ghosts. My my husband has that spookiness to him and he has a lot of creepy stories and whatnot and like visions he's had. And and I'm very jealous of that. But it's also funny because of the two of us, I'm more like religious, spiritual, I would say. For right. Sure. And you're more outgoing and like, I don't know, you, uh, your, your show, the, 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 uh, I want to call it House of Hack now. Hack Couture. Yeah. There we go. We're, it, we're run by like the House of Hack because we have more shows than just Hack Couture now. But, um. Exactly. But it's very creative and flamboyant. And so like the but it's people all, it's very who, like um, shallow yeah. and of this earth. <laughs> Which is why I love it. The shallow, <laughs> the shallow reflection. But like mostly people who usually don't see ghosts are very serious, too serious grounded people. See, we're again, we're like the different sides of the same coin because I always wanted to see ghosts and I wanted to have spooky stuff happen to me. I worked for a ghost tour company for a long time and I would go to the haunted sites when I was not working and I'd be like, please let me see a ghost. And sometimes people would see ghosts like on my tour. I had a woman, we walked up to the haunted house and I was like, this is the spooky place. And she looked up right at the, she was from Texas or whatever. She was Mm -hmm. not well versed in like Toronto history. I'm not saying that she should have been and that she was like ignorant because she was from Texas. I'm saying that she, no, but she saw something very specific that she'd have no context for. Yeah, exactly. She pointed up at the window where the, which was the bedroom where the guy died. And she was like, Oh, I see a man looking out that window. And I get a sense that this is his house. And he's like, not evil. He's a, he's like an okay presence. He's just checking us out. to see that everything's okay. And I was so jealous of her. Right. Cause sometimes it's like an old videotape that you're watching. Like it's a particle muscle memory, like an old VCR tape when you're like watching a wedding video. And then it kind of like fuzzes for a second. And you see like, uh, a football game or something that used hmm. to be taped underneath it. Yeah. There, there's this different is a very degrees. 90s podcast turning out to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. VHS tapes uh, <laughs> for everyone listening were these things that you, um, I'm terribly old. <laughs> uh, okay. So in this, so are you family- one of the parents are you i was, I was one of the children yes but when okay. i was a child my parents moved to toronto um they there were four of us they my parents are musicians but it's one of those things where they were like musicians my mother was a teacher and my dad worked in an office because of real yeah. life but for the sake of a movie or tv show it's much more fun if they're just like straight up artists you know Totally. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't life be fun if we could just be that way? So what's the what's the rating on this film? Is it like a family band, like Disney haunted mansion type thing? Or is this like full tilt horror or 
see, I haven't decided which okay. uh, I'm looking for you for help with because I do enjoy a good, genuine haunted house story, especially one about how it affects a family dynamic. Right. And do you want ghosts in the house or is it one of those things where the house itself is haunted? Like an Amityville horror style thing. So Amityville horror, weren't there ghosts in that? There were, but it's more like the house talks to them and convinces them to murder each other and like the walls bleed. Yeah. Because I know the story of the real Amityville house where the guy murdered his family right and when i saw the movie it was very late at night after it was at the tail end of like a horror movie marathon are you picking up sounds of baby i i can hear the baby but it's mm. okay i'm gonna get jason to grab her yeah get her from the bedroom she's trying to wave I think she hears Andrew's voice and she's like trying to wave at the new person. Can you see her going like that? I'm very popular. At least she's in a good mood. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Sorry to Andrew's editor. That's a Um, Matt. You're doing, you're doing great. I'm glad you had a vacation before this. (laughs) To prepare you for all the stuff that you've got to cut out from my unusable interviews. So I saw the Amityville Horror at the tail end of a long movie marathon, it was very late. I think we'd been drinking. And I'll be honest, I might as well have not seen it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I was okay, under so the impression that I was haunting the house. So, so yeah, there would be ghosts in the house just because I love I, – I really a key part of my personality is nosiness. Absolutely. All That's right. what – interest me in haunted houses. I want to know all about the ghosts and their stories and why they're doing that. When I was a child and trick-or-treating, the mm-hmm. highlight for me was never the candy. It was always getting to see into different people's houses. Yes. For the night. Like when they open the door, just glimpsing in and saying, oh, that's how you decorate. I was born to be an auntie, Andrew. <laughs> that, that's a I choice, was born what you're doing. to be that person that's like, oh, so that's where they put their credenza. Like at seven. Mm-hmm. That was me. Yeah. So that's that's why I like ghost stories so much is there's like just this lovely nosiness. So what's the history of the the house that you actually grew up in? Okay, so here's the real history of the house. Uh, If you're interested, I won't give you the exact address because you're the rabid fans of this podcast will descend upon it. Yeah. Um, But it was located in Little Malta, which is right near like Annette Dundas Street. And... It was a very vibrant community when I was there. Not so much anymore. It got gentrified pretty hard, but it was a lovely place to be a child, especially one who had not lived in a city before. And everyone knew their neighbors and you'd just sit on the porch and people would walk by and you'd be like, hey, what's up? And the Maldives church had parades that they put on for Easter and Christmas every year. And it was lovely. So the house itself, and we know this because the neighbors would pop by and tell us all about it, was owned by an old woman who had lived there for years and years and years with her husband. Then the husband died and then she was on her own. And one day the neighbors came by to check on her because they noticed, oh, hey, we haven't seen the old lady in a while. And this is the kind of neighborhood, again, where people get used to seeing their neighbors and their habits and talking to their neighbors. So someone went into the house 
to see, hey, what's going what's going on, Imelda? I don't know if her name was Imelda, but that just felt like name. an appropriate name, name for an old woman who lives in Little Malta. Mm-hmm. So they found her passed out on the couch and she had been passed out for I don't know how long, but like she was passed out on the couch. So they called the ambulance, the ambulance, and she was taken away. And then the neighbors who were in the house noticed that underneath the couch where she had passed out were several bright yellow, no frills bags. And they looked into those bright yellow, no frills bags and they discovered $50,000 in cash. Because you see, Imelda was a hoarder. And one of the things she hoarded was money. Oh, wow. So that money was taken. Her son, who was uh, living in, in the city, was a lawyer, which is very lucky for her. So he handled her estate. He took the money. But while that money was given to her family, after the uh, the dust kind of settled, the neighbors were like, well, the house is kind of a, a mess. She's a hoarder. Um, maybe there's more money. So they descended upon the house and proceeded to just tear it apart, looking for more money that she had hidden. We're talking, they ripped the wallpaper off the walls to see if there was anything. They, the backs of paintings were ripped open to see if there was money in them. Furniture was turned over. Oh, it no. was just ransacked <clears throat> by these people who honestly, like I met them, were nice and had originally come into the house out of genuine concern for her health and safety. So people are very funny in the way that they behave when money is involved as, you know, which I wouldn't, because as we know, I would not sell my soul for a product Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, as we've established. So my parents were not wealthy. Uh, I... (laughs) I know you there are a lot musicians. of musicians. We we know. Yeah, with four kids, you yeah. know, from from northern Alberta, very north. When you tell someone from Toronto that you're from northern Alberta, they're always like, "Oh, um, what's the one that had the fire recently?" I'm thinking Medicine Hat, but I don't think that's it. Oh yeah. Oh, um, Fort McMurray. They're like, "Oh, yeah. like Fort McMurray," and I'm like, "No, much further north than that." And I remember showing a friend of mine where it was on a map, and he was like, "That's the Northwest Territories. That's not Alberta. <laughs> it's like right at the very tippy top." So we we came to Toronto. We were living right downtown, and we were like riding around the street with bare feet, all that. We were a bunch of we were a bunch of hillbillies essentially. And so my parents were poor. Um, And the house was in such disarray because this woman had been not able to really keep the house to a certain, you know, cleanliness standard. And also she hadn't been doing any, yeah, she hadn't been doing any renovations or whatever. The toilet was still a pull chain toilet. The, uh, the lights were still, there was apparently this thing in the forties, uh, fifties where the, the light switches were like paper. They were like paper light switches. Uh, oh, I do not remember this. I only, I'm repeating a description my mother told me, which just confused me at the time. So you're yeah. getting a real garbled description of how the lights turned on in this house. But no, I like, I've never seen that before. That makes me think of like the twenties. Almost because I've lived in old 30s houses and I've 
I've lived in a house from like the 1800s. Um, surprisingly not haunted, by the way. Kind of a letdown, but definitely mm. old and creaky. But yeah. Um, so for a kid from northern Alberta, and you got to remember that most of North America, especially the West, does not have very old buildings in especially in the north so for me the oldest house i had been in previously was maybe from like the 70s and then i was moving into this old old house <laughs> right pulled chain toilet and we were all like whoa oh. so the house is in complete disarray for a number of reasons and mm-hmm. at this point this was before the toronto real estate market became a different sort of nightmare and <laughs> the man it's the a pr- lawyer two-pronged attack yeah. So this is back when people, this is during a time, it might not make sense to the listeners. Even repeating it now, it doesn't make sense to me. But this was during a time when people could demand a certain amount of quality from the place they were living in. <laughs> you know, someone could look at a house and be like, the toilet doesn't work. I'm going to move somewhere else, which right. is a reality is that leaking. doesn't make sense to us now. Yeah. But it, once upon a time, it was. And so the woman's son, who is the one who's taking care of all of her uh, property and so forth, had a legal assistant at his office who is a friend of my mom and dad's. And she mentioned to him, oh, I know this family and they're looking to move into a place and they don't have a lot of money. And he agreed with them that they would live for a year in the house rent free if they fixed it up. So if they did all the renovations and everything, then they could live in the house for free that was the arrangement that he made with my parents oh this is a genuine haunted house setup yeah absolutely and so here are some nice little details about the state of the house the i never said the worst of it because my parents would go to the house i think they went on like two separate occasions to have a look at it and then to kind of get it ready for us so i didn't see it at its most awful um (laughs) I didn't see it at its worst because my parents said we have to get ready, get it ready for the kids to some extent. Do you think that's because it was dangerous or because they were just like they didn't want you to complain the first time you saw it or? Uh, Definitely the danger aspect. If we complained, my parents would have been like, well, this is where we're living. Yeah. I one of the things that really pulls me out of any movie where the that's about like a child moving. It's where the kid is like, I hate this house. And the parents are like, we know, honey, we're sorry. And the kid walks into like their own bedroom and they're like, this sucks. And the parents are like, well, you've just got to make the best of it. I'm sorry, what? You have your own closet. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. That, that it may not be a plot hole because these movies are always about like rich white people. But for someone who had to share a bedroom until they were essentially out of the house, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about your problems, Brenda. I, I remember watching Inside Out, and I had to rewatch that being like, don't hate the protagonist. But when she walks into her like bedroom that's supposed to be really disappointing, it, I watched it. I watched it in the theaters, I think, with my family. 
Mm-hmm. Remember when that was a thing? And my reaction was like, oh, wow, cool. If I was a kid and I got like, that was my room, like this cool attic room, whatever. I'd be so excited. And said she was like, uh. And in that moment, I was like, I hope Riley dies. I hope she gets hit <laughs> by a San Francisco streetcar. Like, fuck her. I'm swearing a lot. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm it's that kind of. I'm thinking about kids in movies with their own bedrooms. <laughs> I lived in 15 different houses in 18 years. Like, we moved a lot. For me, watching that film, I was just like, oh, you have a permanent house with undivorced parents? Boo-hoo. <laughs> I know. Undivorced parents who seem to love each other a lot. And they live in a detached home in San Francisco. Her father has $5 million. I don't yes. care about her problems. I don't care if she's depressed. <laughs> I don't know. When are they going to make a movie for poor people, Andrew? Because it's not... Pixar is not doing it. I don't know. Andy's mom was a single mom. Anyway, I'm getting very distracted. Back to the description of the house. <laughs> there were newspapers with headlines reading, India is emancipated. That is amazing. There was uh there were tea sets that had um like made in Hong Kong uh aka England on them. Yeah. Um there were also less glamorous things like several thousand empty cleaned yogurt containers like the plastic yogurt like you know you mix the fruit in the cup yogurt containers she'd clean right. them out see that i get though because she would have grown up during the depression yep. and like yep. my grandparents saved the shit out of everything oh yeah like when when my grandfather died and we're cleaning out the house, I found Sesame Street Chef Boyardee from the 70s. Wow. And I don't know why they kept it, but like... In case the depression comes again. Exactly. Honestly, but those are good life skills. The yogurt containers were all cleaned. Yeah. There wasn't any moldy yogurt. It was just a bunch of yogurt containers. And there was one room that... And this is where um, I, could, you, I can put a little bit of a narrative flourish on it, or I can tell you just straight up what it was but i'll go with the narrative so in the basement which was an unfinished basement there was a drain in the floor that as children we found very exciting because when it rained heavily water would come up from the drain on the floor and we would sit on the steps of the basement and look at this drain on the floor with water coming up and you would be like we have a fountain in our house because we were poor and poor children have imaginations (laughs) But my parents are like, no, this is terrible. Our basement floods insanely, like with flourish every time it rains. So this is the basement. It like there was like mold and the the uh, the stucco on this on the walls was like peeling off. Like the mm. you could see like the brick underneath, and it was all peely, whatever. And there was a giant like uh, it, it was just like not a nice basement at all. Yeah, um, no, like, and and you said there's four children. So did you have brothers? Two brothers and a youngest sister. Isn't that great narratively as well? Yeah, it is. But I was going to say that, like, one of your brothers probably tried to pee down that drain just because they didn't want to go all the way to the bathroom. <laughs> like, I guarantee that. I mean, we had one bathroom and it was upstairs. So, yeah, if you're stuck downstairs and there's someone in the bathroom already. Oh, then 100% the they did that. <laughs> Well, you know what? Cut out the middleman. Just pee straight into an open sewer, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying. (laughs) Uninhibited child just found a solution. 
My strongest memory of that basement is, and sometimes when my own children say things like, I'm bored, I'm tempted to be like, this is a we do, we were bored. We would take giant cardboard boxes and we'd fill them with like blankets and pillows and we'd put someone in it and then we'd close up the box and then we'd be like, whoa. Push it down the stairs. Push it down the stairs. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got as a birthday present one year, uh, moon boots again to like throw it back to what year it was, but it was like you essentially, they were like spring shoes and they were incredibly dangerous. You couldn't not twist your ankle. And my brother and I would try and like time each other running upstairs in spring shoes. <laughs> like, it's one of those like I almost have to preface it, like before the two that children never died doing anything dangerous. Like all my <laughs> uncles have a BB lodged somewhere in their body and they're fine with it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we have survivor's bias, but yeah, the... Yeah. What are kids doing now that's dangerous? Vaping. But that's, like, boring danger. Yeah, I know. And that's not, like, a seven-year-old danger. I don't know. I just... I miss the throwing the box down the stairs days, you know? So that was our basement, and we... The kids hung out there quite a bit because it was, like... You couldn't break anything down there. It was, like, I guess the water heater. So it was the unscary basement? We it for any normal child for normal children I feel like it should have been scary but we were not afraid again as the, for we were very non ghosty children. I also love I, that it I, floods. That's mm-hmm. a good. That's going to come back later. Oh yeah, there's going to be a tragedy with the young. When we moved there, my youngest sister. So I'm the oldest, and then I have two brothers, and then my sister. And when we moved there, my sister was, I believe, three years old. So yeah, there's like some sort of tension that's going to happen with a potential drowning child and a and a ghost right. or whatever. Also, your so, sister is totally the first person to see a ghost because she's three. Oh yeah, and no one um, believes her. Yeah, one hundred percent. I. Why were we talking about the basement? I know what we were talking about the basement. All right, back on track. Thanks for your patience, Matt. So we, that's a bad way to start the sentence, starting over. In the basement, there was a room that was locked and we were not allowed to go into it. It was the only room in the house we were not allowed to go into. And it was the only room that had this style of lock. Like there were several padlocks on the door. And when my parents first got into the house they were unable to open that door now the woman had made the house her own in her time there since her husband had died and most of it was very old woman like very chintzy very teacups and doilies yeah lamps shaped like flowers yeah um so much indoor smoking that you could see where all the pictures had been hung because there was just a white square Amidst a sea of yellow. There is a smell I miss from my childhood that you would just smell in like apartment buildings and on buses that I since realized like, oh, that was just cigarettes. That yeah, was just, just like, like tar ingrained in balls. Yeah. Nicotine smell. Almost the like smell this childhood corn smell. Isn't it insane that restaurants used to smell like that? Yeah. And people would eat there. Like it's, it's such a, to me, a, an awful, unappetizing smell. Neither one of my parents smoked. So for me, it was like a very other person's house, other person's car smell. But the world just smelled like that and everyone was fine with it. I remember like the like parents would get together and the kids would just play in the living room and then the parents would just smoke around you in a yeah. circle. 
And uh, like, I honestly remember my parents having a conversation in the living room that was something like, some people hit their kids, some people don't hit their kids. I guess we're pro-choice hitting children. It depends. But, <laughs> like, the That's a early cigarette 90s conversation wild. if I ever heard one. Yeah. <laughs> Takes a drag. Yeah, some people hit their kids. And weirdly, like, my parents didn't smoke, but I think they were around enough of their friends who smoked that they pretty much just smoked. Like, they thought yeah, the they had lasting friendships. The damage. Yeah. <laughs> they thought they had deep friendships, and really it was just an addiction to the nicotine that they had to be around <laughs> that person. Man, I really miss Betty. Oh, we should see Betty. Yeah. Let's invite her over. So this house, this house, this room in the basement that was locked and bolted, whatever, um, was interesting also from an architectural perspective because you could see that there were the, there was the brick all around, but the walls that made up this room had clearly been put up afterwards, not by the original builders. Like they were wooden and you could kind of see through the, the slats and it looked very rickety. And mm-hmm. it had also been built into a corner where there were no windows, so it was perpetually very dark. It was the only place in the house that she had not touched after her husband died. That was his workroom with all his tools. And at one point I snuck in there. This would have been when we had been living there for maybe a year or so. And I was able to find the keys or whatever and figured how to unlock the doors. And nothing had been touched since the day he had died in 1953. All the tools were neatly laid out the way that he had laid them out. And you could see there was like oh, a layer of dust, dust over them. But she had just, when he died, closed the door to his workroom, locked it up, and never gone in there Did again. you? And this is a weird thing, too. My grandfather also had his tool room in the basement. Like, he would do woodworking in, like, the... Why would you do it in the... There's the least circulation. Like, you're just inhaling fumes and sawdust and, like... Because that's the room where your wife is like, get that out of here, go to... Go to your tinkering in the basement. I don't know. Yeah. I'm imitating a 1950s wife from the perspective of her husband. And then every grandfather of that period was also missing a part of their thumb. Not the whole thumb, just like a bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they didn't tell anyone because they were too embarrassed. They're just like, is a piece of your thumb missing? Like, I don't don't know what you're talking about. My grandmother, my grandfather was a very good work worker and he had all his appendages, but my father, who also is Humble a very brag. good ha- handyman, my, my grandpa was uh, better than yours. Um, <laughs> my father, I remember, cut off the tip of his thumb with, I believe, a circular saw. Yeah. And it was very cute because this was around the time that I had stitches in my head. So... I was a climby child, weren't we all? I yeah. climbed up a bookcase at one point, and I distinctly remember, I remember so clearly the thought process that led me to climb this bookcase, which was a bookcase that came with the house. It was enormous, solid wood, and had the sharpest corners. It was very, very heavy, and was up against a brick wall, so it was not secured to the wall. And we were cleaning up the basement, and I was putting away a Barbie pool and the Barbie pool's place was at the top of this bookshelf. And I was thinking, oh, why would I call mom or get a step stool? I can, the bookshelf is shaped like a ladder 
I'll just climb it. Yeah. So Barbie pool in hand, I climbed this bookshelf. The bookshelf fell over on top of me. It would have crushed me and I would have died if it hadn't been stopped by a dollhouse, I believe. But I was pinned under the bookshelf. And We're not going to name the brand of the dollhouse. <laughs> oh, no, no. The dollhouse, yeah. I believe, was it was either made by my grandfather because he was very good at making dollhouses for his daughters and granddaughters <sighs> and that sort of thing. But, my but grandfather a, a used to do that too. And he used to make custom birdhouses. Like the, they would have like working doors and like little windows in them. And so he also cute. lost the tip of his thumb to a circular saw. So I'm relating to very much of this. Also, I did the same thing, but I, I did not learn a lesson. Nothing fell. <laughs> you you got away. It's because you're magical and I'm not. But the corner of the bookcase cut into my head and I had to get stitches. And I'm not sure how many stitches I had to get because for the longest time, I was the, under the impression that it was 18 of them. And then recently, I was talking to my mom, and she was like, it wasn't 18. Are you kidding me? Do you know how your entire head would have been split open? It wasn't 18 stitches. And it's the back of my head, so I can't look and count like one, two, three. But I got my hair cut recently, as you can tell. And the hair <laughs> hairdresser, it's very short. Um, she was like, oh, you've got a huge scar back here. And she actually took a picture for me, and I saw it for the first time. It's pretty big. Oh, wow. Um. So I don't know the number of stitches, but it's a fairly like it's a sizable scar that every time I get my hair cut, someone comments on it. And because we were in northern Alberta mm-hmm. in uh, in a Cree community, the doctors are not the best. Um, you don't receive a great quality of care, especially if you are visibly indigenous. And I remember the doctor. And also I'm guessing access to supplies. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of reasons why it's not the greatest place to get medical care. I remember the doctor was, uh, he was African. He had this booming voice and this low accent. And I was so terrified of getting stitches. And he kept, he was not comforting. He just kept be going, he kept holding his hands over his head, like, and opening them up. He kept holding his hands over his head and opening them up and going, do you want your head to split open like a book? Do you want your head to split open like a book? Oh, wow. And I was like, no. <laughs> and the anesthesia didn't work because I was lying face down on the pillow. And my mom says that every time he tapped my head being like, can you feel that? I was like, yes. <laughs> and he was like, she's lying. And then, <laughs> please understand that me imitating this doctor is not uh, like racial. It's just based on my personal dislike for this right, individual it's more the, the, man the deep booming voice <laughs> it, it's like so implanted in my memory this man being like do you want your head to split open like a book and he decided that they were not going to use the smaller needle which went with the black thread because he was like she has black hair so we're, it's going to be really hard to find it so we're going to use the bigger needle with the brown thread and this sounds very strange but this is i have such a distinct memory of this conversation happening and my mother confirms it so he used the bigger needle. Anesthetic wasn't working. And I remember anesthetic, anesthesia. The I was not numb. Yeah. And I remember screaming and crying into the pillow as I felt these people stitching up my head. And then around that time, my dad cut off the tip of the thumb with a circular saw. He needed stitches. And so when we went to get our stitches taken out, we went together on a fun little father-daughter trip. And I think I Aww. got some uh, gloss at raisins from the vending machine. 
Ooh, another classic throwback, Glossette Raisins. They're still around. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not, like, I remember commercials for Glossette Raisins. Like, they were a heavy hitter. Yeah, now they're just established, and it's like, if you're a Glossette person, you're a Glossette person, you know? And, and uh, like, the Raisinettes, like the Claymation Raisin Band, they were really trying to get us to eat raisins in the 90s. Yeah, nature's candy, man. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, to prove I'm not magical, I broke my arm when I was three years old. I, I, I fell know, out of my high chair. magical. Yeah, I know. But like the you funny thing what, is, hmm? I fell, fell out, out of, of uh, my high chair. Like okay. I tried to crawl out of it and the, mm-hmm. the, t- the table collapses. Uh, and so I just went down. And it's funny. If you're a certain age and you have broken your arm, like my mom just got taken away by CFS and questioned in like – you know, one of those rooms with the mirrors while I was getting my cast put on and they had to call my dad in and it's just like, D- does she hit your son? And of course I'm imagining in my head this whole like, well, we're pro-choice hitting children, but we're not <laughs> that far. <laughs> uh, Doctor has a cigarette in his hand. Yeah, exactly. It was a different time. <laughs> That's so funny because when I was a year old, I broke my leg. I broke my femur actually. And again, we were living so north, I had to be like airlifted to the airlifted south to Edmonton. And my mom describes it as being so scary. Like they, she was like, Yeah, they just kept hounding her because my, my mom is Metis um, from a, you know, a community where everyone's Metis or Cree. And everyone was like, You're abusing your child. You're abusing your child. And they were going to take me away. And then they recognized, and then my dad popped up so like he'd been parking the car he'd been he my dad wasn't there because he wasn't i'm i'm not remembering but i'm remembering the story my mom was with me in the medivac getting airlifted to the hospital my dad had to drive down so he arrived much later so when my dad arrived and they recognized his last name and they were like are you related to harry zotton and he was like yeah that's my dad and they were like he was my professor at medical school and then suddenly everything changed and my mom was like then they treated us like royalty then it was like you were getting the best care the most attention they were so nice to us but back when they thought that my mom was just uh an indigenous nobody they were like we're gonna take your child away from you and it was so scary yeah yeah i think it switched also when they found out my mom was a nurse and they're just like oh well a nurse wouldn't (laughs) (laughs) do something like that um Oh, okay. Yes, we were on we were on the house still. Oh yeah, the tool room in the basement. Yeah. So that was. Of Did all you the- keep the keys? Did you like keep them for yourself and not let anyone else know you could open certain doors? Oh, you know what? Yes, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure I still have those keys. And I'm pretty sure I still have the keys that would unlock the burglar bars in the basement because when we moved, I was like, in case I ever need to go back there, like I just. Is this a common compulsion for children when you find a key to just keep the key? Be like in case it in case I need if it. You can get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a hundred percent. And uh like when I lived in an old house too, something I found uh behind my bed, because it used to be another kid's room from I don't know what year, there was uh a bit of the wall that came out. And then I found like an old bag of marbles and like all this other stuff that another child had hidden. Hmm. Use Marble. it if you That's want. A That's classic. a good 
good thing for your little sister to find. Also, if your parents are playing music at some point and the ghost starts talking through the amp, that would be pretty good. It would. Yeah. There's See, there's a lot of opportunity here. Mm-hmm. We also had a, a piano, which is a the spookiest of all instruments. I mean, Sorry uh, to the only seconded by organ. Mm, well, like a piano and organ, they're similar. Yeah. If you're talking about instruments you're going to have in the home. Unless you, you've got like theremins lying around, you're not going to get spookier than a piano for a yeah. house instrument. Um, okay, so you kept... Were there any other rooms that you secretly unlocked? That was the only room that I secretly unlocked. It was the only room to secretly unlock, really. It was a small house. Okay. But there, oh. was, ooh, there was a shed in the back that my that was just completely destroyed that my dad just like took down with a sledgehammer because it was at like a a good 90 degree angle leaning over the wood was super rotted and then my dad just took it down and there was a giant cement slab in our backyard from then on also no plants grew in our backyard nothing nothing would grow my parents are not like gardeners per se but my mom was someone who would like to grow her own vegetables and uh, I don't know if I describe it as a green thumb, but my we always had plants in the house, and so they tried doing things with the backyard, and everything always died. Now this could be spooky, or yeah, it could be that's attributed. ominous. Yeah, because be what's buried be below the to... soil that won't let something else grow? There used to be a gas station just behind the house. So that There's was our Monsanto <laughs> plug. <laughs> We found a way. Uh, we tied in ExxonMobil. Yeah, people don't realize how much, again, this is me being insufferable and ruining a party. People don't realize how much it really destroys the earth. Once there's a gas station that's been built there, really nothing nothing can grow in the whole radius. Like none of our neighbors were able to have plants and stuff either. It's also just insane. Like I hope it's something I have to explain to children in the future of just like we just had these open underground pools of fuel and it was highly flammable and explosive and it was just out in the middle of everywhere you managed it yourself people smoked around it and if anybody (laughs) smoked too close to it it took out an entire city block and that was deemed the safest way to fuel a car yeah you can show them zoolander as a example yes the documentary zoolander So when it comes to genre and tone, this is where I stumble a little bit because I feel like a, you know, family moving into a haunted house, whatever. I mean, that was the first season of American Horror Story, which was my personal favorite. And everyone's going to be like, but the insane asylum. No, I like the haunted house, even though at the end it was kind of like, whatever, didn't deliver as strongly as it had started. Irregardless, I would worry too much about copycatting that, but I don't I don't feel like the tone of like a friendly ghost or friendly ghosts plural because we love a good many ghosts in the house uh, would fit tonally with 2021. That feels more kind of like like right. an elf kind of vibe, which I don't want to go for. Right. Well, and you bring up a good point of like usually the horror is a metaphor for something else. So 
do do you have an idea of what you're really talking about when you talk about the haunting? Is it about stopping gentrification? Is it something that your family had to work through emotionally? Oh, I mean, um, absolutely, gentrification is where my mind would go, and it's very funny because I witnessed that neighborhood get gentrified in real time. And it felt very much like a invasion of the body snatchers moment where, uh, so the neighborhood I described to you at the beginning is one where, you know, you sit on your porch and people walk by and you'd be like, Hey, how's it going? So-and-so and you know, everybody. And then a, a young white couple moved into the house just beside us because the people living there, I think they were like old people who died or something like that. I don't know. Somehow mm-hmm. they moved into the house beside us and they never talked to anyone. They would go into their house. They would close the door. They would not, not engage with the neighbors and we thought as children we were like that's weird they're like weirdos and i remember like looking over the fence at them as they tried so hard to have a nice backyard they bought the most expensive patio furniture they tried with the plants plants all died and they renovated the house from top to bottom basically they moved in we never saw them the house got fancy and then they left and they sold it to someone else who also shut themselves up into the house and never came out. And eventually the neighborhood just became more and more filled with these people who shut themselves up right. inside the house, never came Which out. Which also makes your house look weirder, like just architecturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sometimes have dreams about that neighborhood and about one house in particular, which we could possibly combine our house and that house in the narrative mm-hmm. because I don't know if it makes sense to have like a whole block full of haunted houses. Maybe it does. Maybe it's like the whole block is haunted houses. And then the gentrification is the ghost being exercised or whatever. But the house across from us, we called it the vine house. It was completely covered bottom to top in vines. The windows were covered as well, just completely. When relatives came to visit us, they'd be like, that's the vine house. And we would sit in our porch and we would watch like we would look at the vine house because it was just so visually distinct. And it was also the largest house in the block. I think it was the only one that had three stories and it didn't have a witch's head at the top per se, but it had um, a bit that was uh, pointed. It wasn't like a round oh, witch's right. head, but it yeah, was like the a, Victorian point. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was hard to see thing, under all the vines, but yeah. And a big the big thing that happened in North America is like, uh, ghost stories were originally just reserved for like castles and things. So when they were trying to come up with ghost stories and stuff in America, it had to be people who came over from the old world to the new world and had that like aristocracy weird mansion because it's the closest thing we had to castles. So that's where I love a lot how of ghosts that... only bothered the rich in the old days. Which is how it should be, which yeah. is a great metaphor again for this thing of like fighting gentrification it makes me think of uh beetlejuice where it's Mm. just like the ghosts are actually the good people i yeah i I definitely want like a seance scene or something Mm -hmm. or like because this is what happened to me in the same so we had these next door neighbors of my grandfather trying to help us move out stuff but they were actually trying to steal the house away for cheap and like stole a bunch of stuff what so it's I'm, I don't know where you ended up with those neighbors. I mean, they did dig through a house for a fortune, but clearly they're the ones trying to get the house bulldozed or like find the money inside. Like, I mm. love that. Yeah. Something I was supposed to inherit that this guy stole. 
was my grandfather had an old cane from Prohibition. And what happened was you could unscrew the top and it mm-hmm. had a giant whiskey vial inside. And he used to take it to baseball games. <laughs> That's a real twist on a classic, which is the saber in the cane. I would this rather is the pacifist the version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I have dreams about that vine house where it's been renovated, where they've cut down all the vines or they've like raised the house or where they've cut like where they've like just bolted the house, turned it into apartments, that sort of thing. I also have dreams where like the house won't let anybody in. Um, I had this one very distinct, distinct dream where like they couldn't sell it because the house just wasn't letting people inside or it would let people inside and then people would get lost in the house and never come out. Yeah, and then, that's a good one. Um, the house was talking to me in my dreams, and it was like it told me what its name was, and it was like, "Don't tell anyone else." And so then I was like, I could go into the house because I'd just be like, "Open up, house's name." See, what I also like is a misdirect is like because you just find the fifty thousand dollars with the old lady. You'd think like maybe they used to rob banks or something or she like murdered her husband in there or something. But it's actually about gentrification and the house was fine. (laughs) Like it's super haunted, but. But the real problem is not the ghosts. Yeah. Oh, what type of uh, music did your parents play? Uh, So my mom vocally was trained. Um to do like opera. Um, but when she was, cause she and my dad would, would always be like singing together at the piano and making, they made songs together for a while. They had like a little CD that they made. And as children, Adorable. we became fed up with it because anytime people visited, they'd be like, do you want to listen to the, to the CD? <laughs> and it's, I feel like bringing it up sometimes because I haven't heard that song in like 10 years now, but it was just like, um, uh, like acoustic pop. Yeah. Wait till you put out a comedy album and you'll just be like, come in, come in, listen to this album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Comedy is less, uh, less easy to share in that way. Very much so. Although like, I do remember going to one house party and we all listened to a Mitch Hedberg album. And that's the closest thing to like a sixties experience I've truly had. When people talk about old party albums and stuff. The Tedberg um, seems like the comedian you could actually do that with. Mm-hmm, effectively. Mm-hmm. But also I, now I just want a scene in this, in like a, this would fit better in a show about someone who's like, you know, single and dating and like going through their relationships in their twenties or maybe even early thirties. But like, can you imagine going to going home with a comedian who's like, toronto level mid success so we're talking like he's recorded his album and his friends came to it um and it's available on itunes but he's not like famous by any means and he doesn't like pay the bills with his album and taking a girl home and him being like let's listen let's listen to to an album and then making her listen to the whole thing and the whole way along he's like watching her face and questioning her being like did you get that do you think that was funny what did you think of the audience's reaction there? I was expecting a bigger pop. I was expecting a bigger pop, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. I just like it on a reverse level of like you're taking someone home, but they're like a magician or something, and the house won't open for the magician or like the door slams shut. <laughs> 
I've never dated another comedian. I think that's same ingrained, and I don't think I could handle it. It's, we have both a very strong self-preservation skills. Yeah, and, I feel like today, um, today, another community, we either got to be like soulmates or nothing. Competitiveness is such a turnoff for me that I don't think I could do it inherently. I enjoy being with another artist. Um, oh, I've uh, done that. Just someone else who's creative is fun because then not only can you do projects together, uh, you have someone who understands why you're up at 3 a.m. like painting on the kitchen table, that sort of it, thing. So I need that. Yeah. But a comedian is a is a separate type of... I feel unless you meet someone who there's something very special about meeting someone who shares your sense of humor. Exactly. That is really nice. Um, and so finding someone who you vibe with that way, I feel like you would have to be for me, at least someone who I could like collaborate with and we could write things together, like make sketches and, you know, come up with ideas and projects together. Right. I don't know, like my roommate and I, I think the reason we've lived together so long is that our humor style is completely in sync Mm -hmm. and we can just like slide each other something and be like, is this any good or uh, whatnot? And he's also not a comedian, which is great Mm -hmm. for me, but, um, oh, painful self-admission. I tend to date painters, which... Why then, is that bad? Painters are well, great. No, I, are they? I feel uh-huh. bad because I started Stupid Fancy, which is mm-hmm. my show based on to art. And I invite an artist in, but I swear to you, that is not why I did it. <laughs> I just like art and <laughs> it was something I could talk about. I don't, I haven't dated any. Mm, Okay, there there was someone I started dating before I started the show that then came on the show after we weren't doing that anymore. Okay. So I feel like that's, that's nice. still safe. Yeah, it shows that you also were civil when you broke up, which is always nice to hear. Yeah, I would say more of my relationships end civilly than not civilly. Same. I think I just have one relationship that ended very poorly because it was a very bad relationship when I was, you know, young. But right. since then, smooth sailing. I think my most recent ex actually helped my current husband immigrate here. Where he was like, he was like, oh, one of my cousins also married in Australia. And here, let me give you some info and some advice and good luck to you. He was from Newfoundland. They're very nice people. And they say good luck to you. Yes. Yes, they are. No, I like, come to think of it, uh, when I needed posters and stuff for Stupid Fancy, I had two different ex-girlfriends make me up stuff and make, like, business cards. It's, like, all after we were together. So, you know, I can't be <laughs> – I'm not – I, I may not be, be good bad. at relationships, <laughs> but I'm not a bad person. <laughs> Here's the thing. I realize this about myself and I realize this about myself as someone who's married and like I'm happily married. So uh, maybe not entirely, but I feel like it suits my personality much better to be like that. I'm not built for relationships. I'm not built to be like a wife. I'm built to be the ex-girlfriend that he 
remembers fondly, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm built to be the, the ex where it's like the current girlfriend has to tell him, stop talking about your ex. Cause everything is like, Oh yeah, my ex taught me how to do this. Or like, Oh yeah, my ex showed me how to do this. That's me. Or at See, least that's, that's where I feel comfortable. That's great to be like, I've had breakups where afterwards I'd be like, can I still come to shows? I'm like, that's a good sign. That's but so nice. I also feel like it goes in the other direction. Like I really hope that if someone breaks up with me, it's for someone better because that will make me feel comforted that they're okay. Mm. And almost if it's, if they're so much better than me, there's nothing I could have done. Like my greatest hope is that like an ex-girlfriend ends up dating like an astronaut surgeon, like someone who performs <laughs> intense surgeries in space. And like, I couldn't, there's no way I was touching that. That's so comforting to me. <laughs> <laughs> but also comforting because then, you know, like in some way you are in the same league as the astronaut surgeon because you both dated the same girl. Right. And then if I get in a horrible accident, I know a guy. <laughs> It's great. I like looking at pictures of people who my current partner dated before me, and I mm -hmm. feel very comforted if they're extremely hot. I'm like, I'm never, um, how do you say, so what's the word where you feel insecure? That's the one. I never feel mm -hmm. insecure if I'm like, oh, but she was so pretty. Then I'm like, yeah, like she better be pretty because I'm pretty. Like, I don't want to date someone who dates ugly <laughs> people. That's very shallow, but right. um, well, I'm, I'm not getting to know their personalities. We've hung out not at shows and stuff like that. And off the top, you were saying nosiness, but it's not gossipy, if I may be so bold. It's not. It's like an intense mm. curiosity. And I feel like I have that yes. same thing, which is also the fascination of ghosts. Like you like looking in those old photos, figuring out the history of it and yeah. whatnot. There's a nice part. And this is why I really didn't like this is another uh, like family moves into a haunted house TV show. So maybe there's room. Maybe there the genre has room to breathe as opposed to just American Horror Story. But um, Haunting of Hill House was one that I loved at first and then became progressively more and more disappointed with because the focus seemed to be more on like, look at us, look at everyone acting Look at look at all the acting moments where people are like crying because their sister didn't support them. Ooh, look at the acting as opposed to like, let's what are these ghosts about and what was their story and why is there someone buried in the wall? It was more the ghost felt more like an accoutrement of the mm. house and like secondary to the family's drama. Which anyway, there are many reasons why that story was disappointing to me. But there is I, a movie I the ghost. version of that that's very good. That's like an old black and white film version, and it's I think it's French, and it's not called Haunting of Hill House. It's something of like Le Ghosts or something <laughs> like that. But it's Les yeah, yeah. Uh, je suis fantôme. <laughs> <laughs> Le fantôme de les de les maisons. Sur le Comment Hill en français. <laughs> Sur la place. When I was a kid, that like I was bad at French until we got to like the Halloween words, mm. and then I'm just like, yeah, give me all that. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but okay, so who is the rest of your family in this? Also, because I almost want you to break it down like a boy band, like. Who was the shy, silent one? Mm. Uh, who was the bad boy? Who was... So we've established that my sister, the youngest, is the one who first sees the ghosts and establishes contact with them, which also makes sense with her personality, not because she's necessarily uh, ooky spooky, but she is very spiritual. And 
she's very bold. She's not afraid of things. So she's the type to be like a, just a confident little child talking to ghosts. Um, I would definitely be the, I mean, I say this not only because everything is from my perspective, because I'm the one who's remembering it, but I would be the, the narrator um, slash the audience's way in because I'm not in any way ooky spooky. And I would just be relaying what other people are seeing and experiencing because I cannot see or experience it. Um, that is creepy in a different way to like yeah. know something is going on all around you and not be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get really, you know, get some ghost FOMO. Um, what other players are there? So then there's my brothers, Augustine and Dominic. Augustine, a, a good way to describe Augustine is he's someone who, even as a small child, was very good at finding and exploiting loopholes and very good at manipulating other people to do what he wanted. He's a very, very smart, very crafty, very like ethically questionable child. <laughs> Yeah, I say this with love. I love my brother Augustine so much, but I was speaking to his girlfriend recently who knows him very well, has been with him for five years. And I was telling her a story about how when he was uh, a child, um, he, we had driven by an apartment building that had a sign on it that said like, again, this is very, very 90s because what apartment building would say this now, trying to get people to move in. Um as opposed to people just like clamoring to pay a million dollars for a bachelor apartment. But there was a sign that said first month free for the year or something like that. And Augustine was like, Oh, let's just move into different apartments for only the first month. And then we'll never have to pay rent like that. That was very yeah. much his mind. I think a good, and, and my brother's girlfriend was like, Oh, what Augustine taking advantage of a, <laughs> of a system. Never. And, a very good way to distinguish my brothers is that when we were children, the way they would get Pokemon cards was Augustine would come home with all these Pokemon cards that he had like grifted from other children. For the people listening, this is back when there was only 150 <laughs> Pokemon, just for reference. <laughs> so he would, he would come back with all of the, you know, Bulbasaurs. I, I never got into Pokemon, but he would come back with so many cards. And my mom would be like, how'd you get those cards? And he would be like, kids gave them to me. And Dominic would be like... He tricked them. <laughs> and Dominic would get his Pokemon cards by. I don't know why I find this so funny, especially when contrasted with my brother, Augustine, who would like, you know, win his and like convince kids to give him their cards. And Dominic was like, there's a corner of the school where it's really windy and all like the when people drop their cards. That's where they end up. <laughs> so Dominic would just like hang out in the wind tunnel. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and collect the Pokemon cards that people had dropped and that had like blown away. <laughs> okay. So I'm at, I, we've got the scheme slash planner and we've got and the we've quiet got, like, observant one. No, Dominic is not quite, he's more like the innocent, like the sweet, um, you know, like, uh, yeah, that's Dominic. He's like, he's so, he's so jovial and so, mm, I can't. I don't. I don't want to like overstep in describing my relatives, but Dominic is very sweet, um, very like what you see is what you get with him. But he has a really bad temper. Okay. 
All right. Like super, super sweet guy. And then suddenly he would just like turn and get really, really mad. So in this, are you the only person that can't see the ghosts? Yeah, I would be. Yeah. Well, because then that also becomes like a family metaphor of like, I don't know, like I could see you as like an older, like young teenager who's like pushing away from their family. And then you kind of have to like buy back into the ghosts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Also, when this was happening, I was like 12, which is the time when you start to realize that you're no longer being pushed down the stairs in a box anymore. You know, you're not a part of the kid crew. Oh, that's perfect then. You got grown the box. Yeah. Um, no, I love that. I like, I don't know. Do you like the neighbors is like trying to get the house knocked down, gentrification, everything's both dying around you. I do like that, especially because the gentrification of that particular area of the city is it sits very close to my heart because I know what it what it used to be and how special it was to me. And when I visit it now, it's just not the same. Do you remember, did you ever go, and again, I'm sorry, Matt, you're going to have to cut this out probably because it's very Toronto comedian specific, mm-hmm. but do you remember uh, a very special open mic on Dundas Street? I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of it. I'm my brain is crumbling to dust. I'm thinking I'm thinking spirits, but that uh, probably just because that when that place was closed, it temporarily became a spirit Halloween. Um, it was called. It was run by Mark Hallworth. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I can't think of the name either. I recalled it just the other day in conversation. I I did it. I was able to do it. I miss it a lot. It was in a basement. It was in like a punk basement. And up top was a pub where we were cautioned not to drink the beer on tap because that was dangerous. This is an editor's note. The open mic in question was called Siren's Comedy and was, in fact, hosted by Mark Hallworth. It was in a venue called Devil's Cellar under a bar called Celts, which is now the Alpine. This has been an editor's note, and suck on that, Siri. I mean, that sounds very much like the place I started, too. It was a punk club in the basement, and then above mm-hmm. was the bar. Um, and you knew you had a bad set if somebody wanted to fight you. And that's literally how I'm like, <laughs> I might be good at this. No one's trying to actively punch me in the face. But I mentioned it because the house is right in that area. Oh, is this... um? Where Joke Marm used to be? I don't know. Just because Joke Marm was on a Monday, so I was never never able to go because I had children. Oh, okay. I also remember there was a house that you would go upstairs to the attic to do comedy in, and the main floor was a bar, 
Oh yeah, it was I, tiny, right? It was it was yeah. like you were in that was. I don't um, think that was the Sonic, but I just remember yeah. it was a garbage night when I was there, and there was a bunch of angry raccoons out in the front lawn that wouldn't let anybody leave, so we all just had to stay there and get drunk because <laughs> no <laughs> one a, wanted that's to. That's a good business decision on the owner's part to just spread garbage around to get the raccoons. Yeah, exactly. They, they were the nature's bouncer. But reverse, keeping people inside. So do your parents still live in this house? No, we got gentrified out. Basically, the so the old lady died. And her son... Um, you have to say it one, like, died. So the old lady died. And then her son tried to sell the house for millions of dollars. Well, that, that just point, makes this sense. Is when, this is right when things started picking up and people started selling houses for inordinate amounts of money. But it was funny because it was it was there, but not quite. So my parents were having the decision where they were like, okay, do we take on a bigger, like a more expensive mortgage and stay in this house and try to fix it up a bit? Um, or do we move? And ultimately they decided to move. And it's funny because thinking back on it, they're like, man, if we had just like spent, a, had like taken on a little bit bigger mortgage, we would have a house that was worth like, I mean, considering the location and the age and everything, that house would be so much money, like an obscene amount of money today. So what do we think ultimately happens to the house? I could see it like collapsing into the ground and being absorbed by the soil. I would just go very heavy handed and say that the, it just gets renovated to the point where it's like an Odysseus's ship isn't the right it's questionably is it the same house is it a different house yeah it gets turned into condos which somehow are like creepier in a way <laughs> like the ghosts are not the scary part or it's like it, it it gets split into two where it's like you have the upper half and the bottom half and and neither is like big enough to house anyone realistically but people jam themselves in there i do have to say i feel like ghosts get a bad rap because my experiences are either the ghosts are very nice or just people take ghosts and make it all about themselves like the ghost doesn't Mm. want anything to do with you like anytime you watch one of those like paranormal investigator things and like the ghost is angry like yeah you came into the ghost house and you started (laughs) demanding that it shakes tables you're being a dick yeah you tried to ghost it's almost like the cat calling of the psychic world (laughs) hey uh, baby you're gonna shake a table for me have you seen the demi lovato ghost hunting series where they go with their friend and uh they like at one point sing to a ghost and it's so funny because they're in the – I've seen a clip and I've been unable to find the rest of the series and I want to find it so badly. I haven't looked that hard. But they go into the room and mm-hmm. the ghost is upset when they're there because, you know, the ghost house, they're in its space. But Demi is like, it doesn't it doesn't feel comfortable with cis men. And so her her friend who is a gay man and the camera person or whatever like outside the room and they're like, okay, we'll leave. And she's like, the ghost has trauma. Oh, sorry. I should have said they. And so then they are like, it's okay. I have trauma too when it comes to men. And like, it's fine. Like we can, we can hang out. And then 
um, at one point they're like, do you like music? And the ghost flickers the lights or something like that. And the gay friend outside is just being so camp that it's delightful. They're like, oh my God, like the ghost likes music. Demi, Demi, sing, sing for the ghost. And Demi's like, oh my gosh, I couldn't. Like very much acting like uh, the character on the Disney channel that's like, I, oh my gosh, I can't sing. Yeah. And your friend is just like, you've got to sing. And then she sings for the ghost. That very much feels like, a, but what could I possibly sing? Don't you have a new album dropping next <laughs> month? Looking directly into the camera. Oh, I couldn't possibly. <laughs> like the, the hand on the ear and like the. The Mariah Carey special. Yeah. Uh, like, it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't know that I needed this in my life, but I, I'm living for a Demi Lovato ghost hunting where she goes and just does like woke therapy on the ghost, being like, "It's okay, none the cis men have left." That's so great. I'm I'm also a little bit proud of myself with how many like weird ghost stories I do have that I'm just like, "This is all about Isabel. This is this. She is the guest. This is not about me." I'm like white knuckling it through this whole thing. Well, listen, I want to hear all these ghost stories. We don't have time for it now, but. Uh... I absolutely would love to hear any and all ghost stories. I love ghost stories. And I'm so jealous because I don't have any of my own. I only have other people's. I'm from the outside looking in. Yeah. Uh, Well, I, okay. Uh, A couple of wrap them up questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, First of all, uh, is there a thing you want the audience thinking about on the car ride home? Like, uh, something you learned about family or the evils of gentrification or something like that that you want? Uh, yeah, I think I probably want them to be thinking in general lines about gentrification and or about community. what it really that, and what it works. is to to own a place, like what it is to own a home and by extension to own land. And is it possible for anyone to really truly own anything? Uh, either like on a spiritual level, as in like, you know, the land kind of, we're stewards of it and it belongs to itself. And also in a modern kind of capitalist way where it's like, is it possible for the everyday person to really own anything that can't just be very easily taken away from them in the system that we're living in? Because it's all pretty precarious. Kind of in a um, last black man in San Francisco kind of way. Right. Well, is there anything that you really missed as a kid or still miss now about living up in that northern alberta northern alberta oh, i miss the northern lights that's not very that's very surface level in Me terms too. of what i miss i miss the northern lights a lot i miss summers just not having a nighttime because uh, it was the it was so far north it was land of the midnight sun so we would uh put card tape cardboard over the windows so that we yeah, get those blackout curtains yeah no 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 everyone just taped cardboard and for some reason i don't know why it was always like cardboard covered in tinfoil i don't know why everyone was like this is the technology but it was tinfoil was involved and i remember trying to fall asleep and hearing children playing outside and being like mom why can't i be playing outside my mom was like it's 2 a.m yeah no (laughs) that was an interesting thing i missed the the migration of the birds in the fall was really crazy. I have very distinct memories of standing out front of my house and seeing just like, like the sky being blacked out by birds flying uh, overhead. Oh, that's crazy. I miss um, prairie sunsets are a thing and I didn't Mm -hmm. realize how much of a thing it was until I moved here. 
Because there's like, so much sky. There's not. We don't get the same sky. Yeah. In the city. Although there's a variety of trees here. I'm like, there's more than one kind of tree. Oh, yeah. The trees was so exciting. And it's especially funny because I moved from like the country, 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 country mm-hmm. um, to Toronto. And the thing that shocked me was like, there's so many trees. There's so much nature. Because I was used to just, you know, skinny poplar trees and bush permafrost. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Like even just different colors of trees was freaky mm-hmm. to me. Although the most the most prairie boy thing I had moving to Toronto was just like, oh my gosh, you guys have vanilla Coke all year round? <laughs> And this is me at 29. Like, Vanilla Coke is seasonal? Because yes. my, I feel like my, I had the same thing. My family had the same thing with like mangoes. But uh, Vanilla Coke. Yeah. No, for whatever reason, they're they're holding it off from the prairies. <laughs> they're rationing <laughs> it out for us. And I don't know why. Um, okay. So just as a, like, a, a last thing, we usually talk our way through the trailer and then Matt's mm-hmm. going to add like sound effects and spooky things. So like, what do you see happening in this? Is this a movie or a TV show? First of all? Cause I've been talking about it a bit like it's a TV show, but that's just because that's mainly a thing that I write. I mean, it could be a TV show. I mean, that way we would put in the like dating and the house becomes a character and stuff. And like, honestly, I had next door neighbors or my mom did uh, growing up who uh, the, the the house was haunted and the ghost was super friendly, though. Like if the mom was carrying groceries home and she said, like, can you open the door, ghost? The door would f- would fling open. What? And then you'd be like, you mind closing the door? And it would just go shut see and that's then, the kind of ghost that that's the kind of woman i want to be someone who can just like hang with the ghost but they don't like me they're like not her my my best friend grew up in a house that two people died in but they were they were pretty you got used to it they were very nice you could see their shadows on the wall sometimes and they kind of just got used to the family and wow yeah, a bunch of stuff but like they were just a happily married again very much like beetlejuice except more like 1800s well, that's kind of nice. I think that ghost stories at their heart, they're very not spooky, but heartwarming because ultimately they show that people are more than just dirt bodies, that there's something more to us that we are. We do have a spiritual element to us as human beings that can stick around in whatever way. Like I'm not saying I'm not I'm I'm trying to avoid saying the word soul because that isn't necessarily what I think it is. It might be, but it might not be the. uh <sighs> I've got a I've got a set up punchline story about that same house though because it had an extra little tidbit to it. So this is back when I'm like 13 or so, and I know the house is haunted. Actually, my friend only told me the house was haunted. I had already sent some weird stuff in the house, but we played like laser tag in the dark in the house alone. I'm like, I never oh, would have fun. done that. Uh, yes, super fun until someone says like, and it's haunted. I'm like, then we turn every light in the house on. What are you <laughs> doing? Are you a crazy person? But so he tells me the thing is haunted. And then one day I'm just going to use the bathroom. And this is, this is like late nineties. And uh, 
I get up from the toilet and it flushes itself and the lid goes down by itself. And I'm like, ghost and freaked out. <laughs> Turned out um, the guy who owned the house before them invented the self-flushing toilet because his wife was handicapped. So it was just the ah. prototype toilet. But that didn't exist yet, and it scared me to death. In a house where two people died in, the toilet was the scariest thing. (laughs) That's so, that's so cute. And like the, the reaction to new technology of like, it's hot, it makes you seem like a woman from the 1800s watching a movie of a train coming at you. Yeah, my uh, great grandmother um, told me this story about like, she was like working in a field. And then she saw it was dark. And then these two like demon eyes lit up uh, and cut through the field and started coming towards her and she ran back to the house. And then like, Years later, in context, she was looking at the first automobile. It was the first, like, Henry Ford automobile, and he'd just never <laughs> seen anything like it. And it was the demon. That's, like, the first woman who was ever hit by a car and killed. I think the car was coming at her at, like, five miles an hour. It was going very slow, but she was just in the road being like, what the, what the hell is that? What is and that? Then the, <laughs> and the car hit her and she died. Uh, so what do you see the trailer like this being is this if this is a show is it my so-called haunted life or something like that or see that's what i'm torn on i think i want to go more serious sorry i'm out of water my throat's very dry (coughs) i think i would want to go like like straight up spooky like spooky scary then you realize that the ghosts aren't actually the bad guys. The bad guys are like the gentrifiers and the whatever, but it's still like, there's still like horror. Like there's still jump scares. I love a good jump scare. We got to have that. Sort of like how Buffy is like all the monsters are based off of a teenager's fears that you would Mm -hmm. have around that time kind of a Mm -hmm. thing, but it is still monsters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to think kind of like, you know, in, uh, to, to make a culturally prescient uh, – no, that's not the word. To make a um, relevant pop culture reference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's kind of like in Dune where when you go into Arrakis, the Fremen are framed as the bad guys and the sandworms are framed as like these scary monsters. And then as you go on, you realize, oh, actually, no, they're the, they're the good guys and the sandworms are good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's just a metaphor for colonialism. Yeah, it's just, it's all about imperialism and resource extraction. And, um, oh, because what are uh, the, the, not witches, the like wizard people are, the Bene Gesserit, it's like, that's a little bit too close. They're like the Bene Gesserit witches. Yeah, which just sounds like Jesuit. And I'm just like, okay, that's the one he could have come up with a sillier name to like hide it a little bit more. (laughs) It's a little on the nose. Yeah, I read it when I was uh, 21 and it was built up to me very much by someone who was like, this is the most mind exploding, amazing thing. And I remember I regret that I was introduced to it that way because it let me down a little bit when I was expecting it to be like, whoa, you know, I tried Um, to read it when I was 12. Huge mistake. (laughs) 
Yeah. No. I mean, it's one of those things where you have to, it's funny, like you have to reach a certain amount of maturity to get over the, the goofy names mixed with names like Jessica. Right? I remember being like, okay, okay, so his mother's like a Bene Gesserit witch and he's on like the planet Arrakis and it's, what's the name that they give him, like the Messiah name or whatever? And then it's like, and his mom, Jessica. Oh, and Paul. And I'm yeah, just like, Paul oh. and Jessica. Like, what? <laughs> At least the dad is, is Leto. Like, that's kind of something that seems right like, like, different, spacey. I don't know. And they're just like, Paul. But I mean, Paul makes me think like, yeah, private school thinks that mm-hmm. he's entitled to lead kind of like, yeah, that that weirdly it does nail the right type of pretentious. Yeah, Paul kind of works. And also like it's kind of biblical. It it means small. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So Paul, I can kind of get behind. Jessica, I'm kind of like, mm. like there's a line where. Yeah, I believe it's in the movie and it's spoken very dramatically. Um, but Paul says something like, oh, what? Like, you think I'm special because I'm a Duke's son? And then the high priestess is like, no, because you're Jessica's son. And there's something about that that I, I mean, I like it um, because I, you know, everything's about classism and whatever and being a Duke's son doesn't necessarily make you special, et cetera, et cetera. But there's something about like this very powerful, deep, booming line spoken by a high priestess being like, yeah, your mom's Jess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you, the redo and you got to You have to get over the goofy. You're Brandy's kid. <laughs> <laughs> your mom's Jenny. Yeah. Uh, your mom, your, your, your mom's dad, Jenny. Doug, Doug and Jenny. <laughs> You're the chosen one. Son of George and Pat. Right. And we're reducing it. It's an interesting narrative about how like mythology is almost used as a form of like control beyond politics and like religion establishes as a greater ideal, which makes it more ingrained and what but yeah, Jessica, you just like you put so much <laughs> thought into everything else. You know what? It's it's charming. I've talked my way around. I like it now. I, I'm a fan of Jessica. But yeah, yeah just that kind of a turn where you think the, the thing that has been um, propagandized to you as the, the big bad guy is actually the good guy. So the ghosts that the developers have been talking I don't know. If See, developers have spread this myth that ghosts are bad. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if that's been like a a generations long conspiracy by realtors to convince us that ghosts are actually evil or what. I mean, I think it's just drum dramatic people are imposing their stuff onto ghosts. (laughs) And I mean, like, I guess again, we're left with the question of like tonally, what do you want? Do you want like mom, the walls are bleeding again or like, Yeah, see, this we keep stalling on this, and I do apologize. I think I would want. Okay, have you seen Venture Bros? Yes. Good. I'm so disappointed. I assume that the answer was left. yes. Yeah. I would have been disappointed if it was no, but I realized we have not talked about it. You might as well say something like, "You have glasses. Do you listen to Radiohead like constantly?" <laughs> yeah. You know how they are able to, and again, I'm uh, here's me, like little me. 
little nobody, um, little bimbo idiot being like, so you know, like the most masterfully done television show in the past 50 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to do that. It's going to be like that. But that, you know, like that show is very good at striking a very serious, mysterious, ominous tone and then immediately like undermining it undermining it but undermining it but not undermining it like i'm like you, you have you this like serious Love, uh, lovecraft villain. country no oh okay watch that because i'm i'm interested to see where you think it's at tonally it should have gotten a second season it's criminal it didn't get a second season but uh what's it called again Love, uh, Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Okay. Yeah, and it's right. basically like there are no cats in it, right? No. No. This it's is a not. reference to Lovecraft's um, questionable, not questionable, his like straight up racism and what he named his cat. But that's what's good about the series is it's looking at Lovecraft's legacy through black culture. And sort of like oh. treating it like the green book of like places. So it's like writing themselves into a culture that had cut them deliberately out. Okay, and I'm it's, definitely going to check this out now. It's so good as a metaphor. And it like, it is pop camp, but the metaphors work so well. And yeah. And it's got um uh, the, oh, that um, great actor that just died from The Wire. Oh, He's really that, good Omar. From, yeah, Omar. Again, that's his character name and his real name, but everyone will know what we're talking about. Yeah. I okay. know there's a K making, in there. I'm making a note. Okay, so the tone that we're trying to strike is very much like, beware people from the other dimension, like kind of spooky, hint of seriousness, campy, um, but still like jump scares. Um, and then little bits of humor thrown in for good measure okay good does this make sense i love it and i feel like no one's it's something it, but that I'm not should exist it. right now um oh no i like if it's a tv series i wasn't gonna say this but usually i'm just like i always ask people like and for end credits music is it did you have something in mind or is it like my favorite part of the 90s was how will smith made a career of just rapping about the movie you just watched (laughs) nobody does it anymore and i get why they don't do it but when it works oh bring it back no but i mean i guess there's no equivalent to like will smith rapping about the movie you just watched I think the closest thing would be in like anime when you like look at the lyrics of the theme song. It's like they're just singing the plot Mm -hmm. and the singing doesn't even match the music like in a Sondheim musical way. But you're just like, well, I know the plot now. It's just nice. (laughs) Like thematically as well. Like it'll be super upbeat and it's like then his parents died and he had to avenge them. (laughs) But now there's a cute character that's also a demon. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a title in mind? I'm usually very good at this, but like this time I was kind of stumped. I I think it was because of tonally. I didn't know what we would go for. Yeah, I am. I mean, I have an inclination because your parents are also supposed to be fixing the house to call it like this old house. Hmm. 
It's a very white person reference to like a home reno show my dad loved from the 80s. Okay. I see. I don't get that reference. I'm sure it's See, very it's the equivalent clever. of like white people watching golf, but it was a white person fixing a, the the Bob Ross of fixing houses. Oh, that seems nice. Yeah. Actually, um, I wrote a, a kid's book about the house and about ghosts in it a while ago. Um, and I was going to ask you about that. It was on here because like... I forgot whether you actually wrote children's books or that's just something in my brain. I'm like, she should do that. That's probably something she does. Yeah. I wonder if I have a copy because the way I am with the copies of my books is I just like give them away constantly because I'm like, remember that I do things. Um, It was called Jacinta's Ghosts. And it was about like I wrote it from the perspective of my sister who was a little child and therefore like the best introduction to a child for ghosts. Amazing. So um it could be called something like that. My family last name isn't very like catchy. Uh but it could be called like blank the family family's ghosts. I don't know. I'm I'm so bad at titles. I either like I come up with the title first and I'm like this is a good title and I work around it. Um like listen to this. Okay. I'm gonna quickly elevator pitch you another show. Okay. Just completely off the wall. But this is one where I'm like, that's a good title. Okay. So uh, the main character is uh, is a drug dealer for years and years and years. Then weed becomes legalized. He has no idea what to do with his life professionally because his job is effectively like ended or whatever. Um, and he gets busted for like trying to sell some other drug, probably mushrooms because that's like same level. You know, he's not stepping up to heroin. Still it's organic. A pretty step. Yeah, exactly. Like it's... No one's watching this and is like, oh, look at that bad person. They're just like, oh, he's a businessman is down as luck. Um, but he's like a huge stone or whatever. And then his his mom or his aunt is like, we, we have to do something with you or whatever. And so then he goes to work at his aunt's like stable horse farm camp or whatever, teaching like kids how to ride horses. And the, the name of the show is Riding High. <sighs> I like that. See? My... So I can title things. I don't want the listeners to be like, she can't title for shit. She doesn't know how to title her projects. I, I do sometimes. <laughs> no one is sitting yeah, saying that. But that's great. That's exactly <laughs> what you kind of want it to be. <laughs> like in that 90s tradition of like, it's about a step family. So it's called step by step. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of a thing. I mm. I would like to see one about a guy from France who's like he ruined a family vineyard mm-hmm. and instead uses everything he's learned about making wine into growing marijuana mm-hmm. because it's a very similar kind of treatment of the soil. Really? Mom, I'm sorry, but at least it's I it's science-based. Yeah. And What's I it just, called? Wait, were you building up to a pun title? I was expecting it to be something like Crush I don't it. have a... Um, it would be like new bottles. I don't know. I'm thinking of like old wine and new bottles or something like that. Or When I have it, I have... When all the rest of these episodes are up, you're going to look at the titles of these and be like, <laughs> Andrew was killing it. And then just, 
I had one day where I was just like, the story sells itself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I, I also like a good long title, you know, like the haunting of Hill house. I wasn't crazy about that title, but you know, something along those lines. So it's like, or like the, the exorcism of Emily Rose. I feel like, Spooky things really call for long titles sometimes. Oh. I mean, the most fam- one of the most famous horror movies in the world is called It. What which- was the name of the street? It could be the exorcism of something street. Oh, yeah. It was called St. John's Road. Okay. All right. Uh, there's a famous, famous haunted house in Winnipeg that's called the Elmwood Manor. That, Ooh, uh, with a name like that, it's got to be yeah. haunted. Oh, yeah. Super famous, like, seances happen there. Like, Agatha Christie and Charles Dickens and stuff used to come down for the seances. It's where they first discovered ectoplasm and, like, chair stacking and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, that uh, TV pilot that I almost got, well, we shot the pilot for, uh, and then it didn't get picked up, that I almost pitched on your podcast, secondary plug. Um, <laughs> uh, we needed money for funding. And, uh, so the whole history of that house is a, a doctor's son died way too young. And he was, uh, obsessed with contacting his son beyond the grave. And that's mm-hmm. what happened in the house. But he was a professor at the university of Manitoba. So to this day, there's like, um, a scholarship under his name for if you can prove anything of like the supernatural world. So we had found a way to get access to the house. I had connections with the paranormal society of Winnipeg. I found someone to do the seance. And the brilliant thing was they didn't expect us to find actual proof. So as long as we spend a night in the house, we get $5,000. What? Everybody chickened out, but me because it's such an infamously haunted house. I would have, I'm pretty sure I would have chickened out. No, would I have? I don't know. <gasps> that That's such a, that's like a classic stay in the house. You get the house, you get the money, you get the inheritance set up. Exactly. And, and like even talking to the paranormal investigators, like most of, they were just like most of his bullshit, but there's a couple places I won't go in anymore. And I'm like, really? <gasps> and that was one of the houses. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What if we called it like something like the assorted specters of St. John's road? I love that. It is both too long and fancy. Yeah. I like assorted. Mm -hmm, People are like mm -hmm. "Mm, candy. Right. (laughs) Good connotations there. And then I also still like, then your parents also don't have to just be artists. They can work their Joe jobs, but Mm -hmm. them at their Joe jobs, like the lighting is more horror based, like flickering, like hydrogen light bulbs and stuff like Like, that. Yeah. Yeah. The, my, the place my mom worked, Oh my gosh, they were so terrible to their employees at one point because my dad was okay. We've got to wrap this up quick because the baby's crying. (laughs) But at one point, like my mom was the only breadwinner of a family of four kids and they were paying her like less than 20,000 a year to teach like a full course load because they're like, we're a small school and you should do this because you love education. Can you believe? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should just quit their jobs. All right. So we got to, we got to get going because I can hear right. baby crying. Do you want it to rapid fire plug anything? 
Um, well, hopefully by the time this podcast comes out, I will have released my podcast, which is called Rejects. It's mm-hmm. all about um, creative projects that never got to be realized, but people come and talk about them anyway because they're interesting and fun. And you can follow Hack Couture at hack.couture on Instagram for uh, general fashion comedy as well as updates about upcoming shows. And find that that children's book about the haunted house. Oh, yeah. You can follow me at Isabel Zotin and look into buying all my books, which are a lot of fun. Okay, great. Go uh, say hi to Celeste for me. All right. We're, we're all we're good. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, fantastic. Matt will do with was, it what he will. This was so much fun. Good luck, Matt. <laughs> we love you, Matt, but not in a way that I can actually make your life easier. Hey, bye-bye. Okay. I don't know how to exit out of this, so... Oh, wait. I'll do it, yeah. Punch Up Your Life has been a stupid fancy production in partnership with Showbiz Monkeys. The show was hosted and created by Andrew Lazotte. You can find Andrew on Twitter and Instagram as at ThinLazotte. Or check us out on Facebook at Punch Up Your Life. Theme music was composed and performed by Leif Ingerbritsen, photography by Tyra Sweet, and artwork was designed by Todd Graham. The show was produced, edited, fact-checked, and all questions and tangents were researched by me, Matt Ardill. Please remember to like and subscribe, and leave a comment. Let us know which stories you'd like to see get made into a film, or pitch us your own story. Who knows? You could end up being the next guest of the show. Thanks for listening, and remember, you are the hero of your own story. Story.